But if a curtailment limit's gonna come in at 40% compared to a normal curtailment report assessment that's 20% or something, well, is that enough of a comfort for, for a developer to actually, or an investor to actually put money into that project? So I think that's the big thing. Yes, there's a curtailment limit, which is better than no limit, but if it's such a long way above your predicted level of curtailment, then has it provided any, any benefit at all? Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Welcome to this episode of the Connectology podcast um, where I'm talking to Pete Aston one of the connectologists here, about um, SCR curtailment limits. And very quickly, the reason why we're discussing this is because we're doing a webinar on understanding DNO curtailment reports, and that's being recorded tomorrow. When we uh, just flagged that that was coming up on LinkedIn, there was a, a really good little debate. So if we just want to name check Andy Burndies and Charles Deacon, um, who uh, flagged this actually really important topic um, that Pete was going to uh, do a couple of minutes on tomorrow and will do. But it's uh, such a big topic, we thought, well, let's very quickly get um, a full podcast recorded. So without further ado, that's what we're talking about. Um, and Pete, hello. Hi, Hugh. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, and Pete, what are SCR curtailment limits? Okay, so back in May 2022, Ofgem published their final thoughts, final determination on the significant code review. So that's the SCR bit. So significant code review covered two main areas, really. It covered connection charging boundary. So that's, you know, if you're a generator, how, you know, do you pay for the reinforcement works at the voltage you're connecting to or the voltage up? And we've done lots of um, uh, webinars and various podcasts and stuff on that. Uh, so the, the other element was around uh, introducing better definitions around uh, non-firm access arrangements um, and so the, the use of the terminology non-firm can be a bit misleading uh, dnos think of non-firm in terms of the number of circuits into your site whereas at transmission when they talk about non-firm they mean um, whether you've got availability to your connection capacity sort of all the time or not um, so we're really talking here about sort of access in terms of with full availability of capacity of your site um, so they, they tend to uh, now talk about curtailable connections instead of non-firm connections to try and move away from some of that sort of skewed terminology. So, yeah, so um, SCR talked about uh, connection boundary and it talked about non-firm curtailable access. Um, and one of the changes within SCR around curtailable connections was all around introducing a curtailment limit, so an upper level of curtailment. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, and uh, who should be interested in this, by the way? So anyone who is looking to have uh, make applications now, so from 1st of April 2023, these changes have, uh, have taken place for significant code review. So anyone who's looking to put in applications now and get offers for um, 
connections that will potentially be curtailable, uh, and that could be generation or demand. So this is now quite broad. Um, it could be more or less anyone applying could end up having a curtailable connection, and so these curtailment limits could ap apply pretty broadly. And to what extent or what extent or proportion of connection offers might actually be impacted by this this methodology. Yeah, so it's a really interesting one. I think um, it's all about curtailment on the distribution network. Uh, and so um, th there are lots of places on the distribution network th that are full. Um, so th this could impact sort of two groups of customers. One group of customers is um, those who are um, applying for an enduring curtailable connection. So that would be where you know there's reinforcement on the network that you're going to be charged for and you don't want to pay for it or wait for it. So, so you're going to apply for an enduring connection. Uh, so um, you're going to want to obviously know about this curtailment limit because it's going to impact for the duration of the site uh, connection timeframe. Um, other customers might have like a, a temporary um, curtailment uh, connection prior to the DNA undertaking reinforcement that that customer is not paying for. So they're quite happy to have this as a temporary solution. Uh, and for those particular customers, I guess there's less impact from this because because they know that they're going to eventually come off curtailment. Um, but it's still going to be, you know, very important for them to know for the five, six, seven, eight years, whatever it is that they have the temporary curtailable connection what's the impact of this upper you know upper limit of curtailment on them okay so, so, it, so it could it could be quite a lot of connections so for a lot of people who were uh, um because of scr coming coming into force on the first of april they're expecting their reinforcement works to be free and potentially um they will be free in terms of they won't have to pay for them by sending money to a DNO's bank account, um, but the the freedom that the DNOs have over the level of curtailment that they can impose uncompensated curtailment means that actually that there is likely to be a financial impact. Yes, yeah, I think there will be. Um, so under the temporary, even under a temporary curtailable arrangement under SCR, the the customer still bears the cost of that curtailment. Um, the, the point of introducing the curtailment limit was for customers to understand, you know, the maximum exposure to that curtailment. Um, and the general idea with SCR is above that curtailment limit, the DNA will either compensate the customer for, for loss of energy uh, above the curtailment limit, um, or they will look to... Um, secure capacity from the market, go out to some sort of flexibility, uh, pu uh, publish some sort of requirement for a flexibility service, so get market-driven prices uh, for dealing with that so that um, they're, they're effectively paying to curtail someone else so that you <laughs> as a customer don't get curtailed and it's cheaper for them to curtail someone else rather than you. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that that's the general idea that you can be compensated um, or the DNA just pulls their finger out and gets on, does the reinforcement a bit quicker uh, and said so there's no need to curtail anyone. Cool. Good. Thank you. Um, so uh, how is Ofgem looking to implement the, the new curtailment limit? 
So, yeah, th- th- this is where it gets a bit boring because <laughs> I'm going to start talking about Shall Jacuza. Again, you can nice go make tea. tea. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, uh, these changes are, are implemented through Dacuza. So Dacuza is a distribution connection use of system agreement. Um, so basically all the DNOs sign up to Dacuza, all the suppliers do, and some big generators do as well. Um, and so... Uh, the DNOs then have an obligation to implement the um, the outworkings of the decision of Ofgem under significant code review to implement like the legal text, if you like, that goes into Dacuza to say the DNOs have to follow these procedures in order to implement curtailment limits and all the rest of the, the changes. So, so there was a particular Dacuza change proposal, DCP 404, um, which was raised sort of uh, last year for the... Um, for the DNOs to agree methodologies around all these sort of non-firm curtailable limits and, and that sort of thing. So, so that, that that's the vehicle for which um, uh, this is working through. So um, I th- I hopefully will be able to post a link, Ooh. Hugh, to... Um, in the, the description. Yeah, in the description to DCP 404, which you'll be thrilled to go and read. I can't wait. Uh, you can't wait. Um, but within that, um, there's some... It is very clear how they how they calculate the curtailment limits, the methodology that's going to be used to do it, um, which is sort of where the, the information I'll sort of be sharing in a bit about how they're doing it's come come from basically. So, yeah, so that's now approved and you know, implemented. So that's what now the DNOs have to abide by. Cool. Um, so, how does SCR curtailment limit link to a normal curtailment study? So, I think that the a curtailment limit under significant code review is trying to do a different thing from what you get under a normal curtailment study. Obviously, the two are linked. So um, so the curtailment reports from the DNO trying to give what they think might be a realistic um, uh, sort of outcome of curtailment, the limit is that, that backstop level. So there is a consistent approach between DNOs for setting curtailment limits. So like I said, it's, it's set into the DACUSA now. Um, so they all have to abide by a very prescriptive methodology for doing it. Uh, whereas general curtailment studies, DNOs sort of just do what they like. It's not really published. Um, so it's, there's a whole range of methods that are used out there, uh, which which makes them comparing curtailment across DNOs quite difficult to do. And might this actually have a, 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 I guess, a byproduct in that is there a chance that the, the six DNOs might, might actually... St- come into line in terms of their normal day-to-day curtailment assessments? And- Poss- possibly, but I think when we come on in just a sec to talk about the actual method that this uses, I think you'll see that it's so basic that it almost d- doesn't even do the job it sets out sets out to do anyway. So I think for the DNOs to then use this as a sort of common baseline to spring off for normal curtailment studies probably just is it's probably too simple sure so i think we probably agreed that it would be good if they did something but it's going to be something far more involved than than this yeah and i think the the last thing to point out and how the the curtailment limits differ from normal curtailment reports um is that there is no transmission uh, network assessment within the curtailment limits so it's purely looking at the distribution network for some connections is the bulk of your curtailment so it is giving you a, a subset of the, the curtailment that you would see within a standard curtailment report. Right. So, so again, you can't necessarily read across from one to the other because they're not 
fully covering the, the same bits of network. Yeah, cool, and that and that makes sense because um, SGTs aren't 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 covered um, under SCR. So but then they're not. Um, but but the argument is that well, from a customer point of view, it doesn't really matter whether you're being curtailed from a distribution network or a super good transformer. You don't. You as a customer don't care to who who owns them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you you you're just being constrained off. So th- this is where this sort of just is a a good example of where there is that disconnect between distribution and transmission. Which there really shouldn't be because you know everything, but distribution and transmission all affect you as a connected customer. But but the way that it's been implemented, it just disconnects the two artificially. Yeah. So, how are the curtailment limits calculated? So um, there's there's sort of a few a few basic things. Um, the the first thing that you end up doing uh, have to do as a DNO is you get a year's worth of half half hourly demand data from the network. So you look at all your, your BSPs, your, your primary substations, uh, and, and so on, and you get the true demand data. So true demand data being you've stripped out any generation that was running at the time, because uh, that, that will mask the true demand on the network. So you strip the generation out, and then you've got a true sort of baseline demand uh, set to go from. Um, which which most of the DNOs should be doing anyway when they publish the long-term development statement. That should be demands on the network that have sort of, you know, had the generation uh, discounted from it that was running at the time. So you get a true demand yeah. for the uh, last uh, and it, few and years. And it's only a year, so there are going to yeah. be a lot of irregularities. Yeah, that's right. So, into these. so 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 that, that brings up some question marks already as, you know, um, what should you be assuming for connected generation? Um the, the the real fun comes when you start moving into then generation that's not yet connected to the network. So um, so any any generation that's been accepted, uh, for a start, you are assuming a hundred percent. So this is in, this this is all in the rules. Hundred percent of accepted to connect generation goes into the study. Um, so you assume none of it falls away. Wow. So that in and of itself, I think, is quite um, well. <laughs> optimistic, <laughs> uh, especially as when you look at uh, the ES- or, or pessimistic, whichever, or way, pessimistic, you're whichever yeah. way you're looking at it. Yeah, um, if you look at the ESOs change in their construction planning assumptions that they've just been rolling out this year, they they're now assuming attrition rates of sixty six percent. So okay. they're they're assuming only thirty four percent of generation uh, across. That's across all technologies. Is it? So it's across all technologies okay. and across big regions. So you know a DNO can't make that sort of scale of attrition across you know small areas of the network where there might only be two generators connected on a circuit that you're looking at as your limit so uh, you, you have to take allowances as to how big an area you're looking at but you'd have thought that if you're doing a, an assessment across a big one through two kv network for example you could make some assumptions about attrition rates being more than nothing um so um i I think there's you know um something within that then then if you look at in terms of attrition rates uh that you also have to add in a hundred percent of the largest two in-flight applications so that's two the largest two schemes that have had offers issued but not yet accepted um so so you include two the, the two largest ones and then for all other Offers that have been in-flight offers, so issued offers not yet accepted, uh, you 
you assume fifty percent of all the rest of those connect. So that's still pretty punchy. In yeah, terms yeah. Of I mean, particularly if you just think rate. of the level of interactivity that there is now. Yeah, and, and we know the level of acceptances across offers that are issued isn't anywhere near fifty percent. It's about fifteen or something yeah. across. Well, and it was. I think it's probably much lower now. Yeah. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. So just looking at those sort of attrition rate figures, you know, they 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 will put into your analysis a lot more generation than there's realistically likely to be there. And therefore, starting to already inflate your curtailment limit quite high. And so bear in mind, the higher your curtailment limit, the less chance there is on the DNO compensating you. So a high curtailment limit is good for the DNO, bad for the connecting customer. So yeah. bear that in mind. As a minimum for a battery, you could assume it's 50% load factor because it can only export 50% of the time at max if it's a standalone battery because it has to be charging for the rest of the 50% of the time. Um, so um, then for solar, it does suggest a generation profile, but this generation profile is it's nothing from midnight until half past 10. From half past 10 till half past five, it's 100%. And then from half past five in the evening to midnight is zero again. So you've just got a on-off profile for, for solar. Whereas it would be very easy to come up with even a generic solar profile sort of to ramp up and down over a sort of standard solar curve. So it's it's incredibly clunky. And again, so this, this as well is probably the biggest factor that's going to be inflating the curtailment limits much higher than they should be. It's... um. It's extraordinary. It is. And I know they had a short amount of time to do this. So Ofgem's decision came in May. They had to pretty much get this written by like November time. You know, it's, it's a short period of time. Bearing in mind that there are some DNOs that were out there, the sort of NGEDGE UKPNs who were really quite advanced with A&M, other DNOs like ENW that hadn't really done much A&M at all. So there was a big disparity within the DNOs as to how far advanced each of them were but even so i think they could have done better than this uh, and then just sort of briefly the last assumptions that you do you take an, assu- an assessment of your network capacity um taking into account outages and so on and then you use 95 percent of your network rating to assess the curtailment against so when when you've modeled the power flow and it gets above 95 percent you start curtailing your, your generation so I don't. Well, I didn't use one hundred percent because that's what you. That's what the, the, the network limits are. Um, uh, you know, bearing in mind how much fat they've already built in with those other assumptions. Um, so, so all of those assumptions that they're building in just uh, are leading to uh, curtailment limits that are going to be well in excess of an actual curtailment report. Uh, and I did hear one DNO say on a like a, a, a webinar seminar thing uh, they they their assessment is that these curtailment limits will be up to double what you'd get on a normal curtailment report right okay oh i don't know if they'd 
done any analysis on that or just sort of thought this is bad and it's going to be a lot more. And just just to put you on the spot, a normal curtailment report, um, how pessimistic might they be? I mean, some of those are, are pretty bad anyway. So um, uh, a, a lot of DNOs will already be assuming under curtailment reports that you know batteries are exporting 100 percent of the time, which is that they, you know there's pressure to for them to change, and some of them are changing to have a much more sensible profile for batteries uh, and, and existing generators. But you know th- there is generally more thought that goes into that. But yeah, I, I would say. Um, existing just normal curtailment reports are quite pessimistic in and of themselves anyway. Yeah, sure. Um, and what are the implications... Implement- <laughs> Shall I go again? Yeah. <laughs> what are the implications of, of this method? So I think that the first implication is fairly obvious, really, in the sense of um, the higher that curtailment limit, and we've sort of said it's going to come out high, um, the, the less risk there is of the DNO having to compensate... The, the customer and so the more risk there is as a customer that you're you're not going to get comp- compensated so you know let, let's say the dno curtailment report came out as 20 percent curtailment and you thought well, i might be able to cope with that um but i'm i'm a bit cautious around the fact that this is an open-ended curtailment you know the, the dno's curtailment reports generally say our estimation is 20 percent, but we, we're not going to guarantee any level of curtailment so it could be anything but we think it might be 20 um and that's generally been problematic for, for developers and, and sort of investors. Um, but uh, so so this this sort of you know um, promise of a curtailment limit was great. So, uh, but but if a curtailment limit's going to come in at forty percent compared to a normal curtailment report assessment that's twenty percent or something, well, is that enough of a comfort for for a developer to actually or an investor to actually? put money into that project so i think that's the big thing yes there's a curtailment limit which is better than no limit but if it's such a long way above your predicted level of curtailment then has it provided any any benefit at all so i think that's that's one question is is you know because it's so high the curtailment limits are going to be so high has it provided any anything better than what we've got at the moment so that's one question and i guess we'll start to see that as it comes out um uh, I guess there's an, uh, another interesting outcome in as much as some DNOs don't even produce curtailment reports at the moment. So this curtailment limit might be the only number Ooh. a developer gets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you're up in E&W's patch and they haven't yet been issuing A&M and, and might still be some time off doing that, you might not get a curtailment report from them. Um, someone can correct me if they're actually doing them now, uh, but you know, it's just as an example. Uh, but what you know, what if you only see that curtailment limit? You've got to know that that's a very, very, very pessimistic number compared to what you might get from a normal report. Um, so, it, yeah, I, I just think that that's the main thing, really. Um, that there's there's something else around um, the type of networks that you can apply this to. So. You can only really apply spreadsheet-based curtailment assessments on very, very simple networks. So a radial network, just one circuit that goes out from a substation to a to another substation and doesn't interconnect with anything else. It's quite easy to calculate curtailment like that. When you've got mesh networks or ring networks, um, you basically can't use spreadsheets. And I'd say a good third of the country has got 
ringed or meshed networks. Wow. <laughs> so how you apply this spreadsheet-based approach to anything that's more complicated than a radial network is there's a massive question to it. In, in the guidance in DCP 404, it just says something like the DNO needs to apply factor <laughs> <laughs> or something vague and woolly like that to, to just say, well, we don't really know how to do this, but... Um, Give it your best shot. <laughs> Just to account for the complexity on that part yeah, of the network. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, if you're poking power at one circuit, it can go two or three or four ways on a mesh network, whereas on a radial network, it's just can only go one way. So it's really easy to make the assessment. So, yeah. Um, and the way that DNOs deal with complicated mesh networks is, you know, they've they a lot of them outsource it to some providers who, who run complicated assessments that can take computationally days to run. You know, so that's the sort of level of um, you know computer programming, computer power you need to solve and produce curtailment reports for uh, for complicated networks. So yeah, you can't just do it in a spreadsheet. No, no, <laughs> but they're going to. Um, good. Uh, and so it's not an ideal situation, except if you happen to be <clears throat> a DNA, in which case it's. I think if I think the DNAs probably come out fairly good on this because the likelihood of any of these customers in real life reaching these curtailment limits, I think, is virtually nothing. Um, and and do, am I right in thinking that that reduces the pressure on the DNA to get reinforcement work? So if it's absolutely. an interim flexible arrangement, it reduces the pressure on them to it does. carry out the It does, but um, in addition to this curtailment limit, there should be, for, for these interim curtailment schemes, there, there will be curtailment end date so once you've reached that, reached that curtailment end date, you will not be expected to fund any curtailment. So once you've reached that date, the DNO has to cover either not curtail you or, or pay you to be curtailed. So so that that's yeah. So so the, the two things work together. And, and how is that end date calculated, or is that an entire? I think that's that's, a, that's another podcast. Uh, because I'd have to get my head around how they're actually doing it. <laughs> I'd have to go and read the other bit of DCP 404 um, to, to work that bit out. But yeah, I, um, it is going to be linked to how long the DNO thinks that reinforcement's going to take. So again, I think the end limit's going to be set in the favour of the DNO to, for them to be allowed to deliver what could be quite complicated reinforcement schemes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and I think it's also worth saying that um, just as a more general point, you know, we've been talking around curtailment, curtailment limits. Um, it can be that other constraints on your connection are far more significant than curtailment anyway. So it could be the outage risk um, and, and that sort of thing, intertrips take you off for a lot longer than curtailment would anyway. <laughs> yeah, there is. there does seem to be, a, a and it's, it's, it's healthy that, that um, that uh, developers and, and investors are are looking at curtailment, but it's something that that um, I must say I get from uh, you and Philip an awful lot is that actually it, it can be just uh, relatively insignificant compared to to the outage risk. And I think you're working on a project at the moment which has got um, which is connected um, and has got something like six million quid's worth of yeah. outage risk associated with it in 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 a, in a single year and um, and that's a 132 kV connected project. There are so many 132 kV uh, connected projects that have got accepted offers. And with all of the connections, the number of outages that there are going to be in order to enable these projects to connect, I imagine there's going to be 
a rash of outage that that will make this sort of pale into insignificance would that be about yeah right? i think so you, you can you can easily on the 132 network experience you know weeks or months worth of outages because of just you know towel painting or um changing towers or you know changing various bits of kit um so yeah uh, 132 kv outage risk is quite significant um, and um, you really need to look at that and your connection offers uh, because it's it's a massive, massive problem. You, you, you want to have the conversation before you connect because <laughs> it's a lot easier to sort it out before you've connected than once you've connected and you realise each year you're going to be off for two months or something. Yeah, sounds frightening. Um, so what uh, can our audience here do um, about this, the the methodology that we've just discussed around that curtailment limit? So I think the first thing is just be aware that, be, be aware of what the number is, you know, just, you know, it, it's just a number that's based on massive amounts of unrealistic assumptions. So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay too much close attention to the number. Um, but, uh, but I think what developers would really want to do is to see those curtailment limits come down. Um, and the the way that you'd have to do that is to um, is to look to change the rules because a DNO um, is a DNO is going to say I have applied this methodology correctly. This is your number. That's tough. The, the, I, you can't go and change it. So what you have to do is go and change the methodology. Um, so the good thing is uh, you can look to make changes to Decusa. So if you happen to be a signatory to Decusa, you can suggest um, uh, modifications. And, and who are those signatories? Well, um, so some of the main signatories are the DNOs. <laughs> so uh, I suspect that they're not going to be willingly looking to change the methodology to... Um, to, to, to reduce the, uh, the the level of these curtailment limits. So yeah, you only need one party to submit a change mod proposal, um, and that would then convene a working group for them to then thrash out what this looks like. And, and I think that some, some of the key things that you'd want to look at are like um, getting suitable generation profiles. So these aren't things that are going to be difficult to implement so it's like well you could just have a solar profile that actually looked like a solar profile not <laughs> as you know uh, not binary um uh, you know building in some better attrition rates um you know reducing them from assuming 100 percent of things are going ahead to a bit less um raise those asset assessment limits from 95 percent up to 98 percent or 100 percent um, so I think there's a few things that you could do in there to suggest improvements to the methodology that could make quite a bit of difference. Yeah, cool. Um, and uh, have we exhausted the subject? Uh, I think pretty much. I'm, I'm sure there'll be more that we'll say on it once we once we start seeing some actual curtailment limits coming out, um, because I think we'd want to be having the conversations with the DNO about well, have you applied? that methodology correctly uh, you know can we see your working please because there is a spreadsheet that's provided with the dcp 404 so i guess the dno could just produce that spreadsheet for you and you could say well what does it can i, I want to look through it please i want to check that you've got this set correctly 
So I, I don't think there's any harm in actually challenging these, but uh, yeah, yeah, we we yet to see them issued yet because we're not yet three months from from the first of April. Yeah, of course, uh, the offers the offers aren't aren't, aren't aren't yet coming out, and and I guess even so, there is still the problem that the the data that they're modelling, so that that those the demand data and generation data is isn't necessarily um, completely bulletproof across all the networks would that be right yeah that's right there's always data issues you know a, a big part of this is getting the data right um and a lot of this data won't be published so you not every dna or not many dnas publish their half hourly demand data for example so you, so you can't necessarily you don't necessarily have all the information for you to go back and uh, you know do this calculation for yourself um, so in certain circumstances, it wouldn't necessarily be inappropriate to go and ask the DNA as well. Give me the same data that you've got. I want to, I want to turn the handle on this myself. Which I think should, should be absolutely part of the course. That yeah. I think that that data every time a coconut, you know, whether, whether or not it's under SCR or, or, or not, that um, uh, that you should be able to get that data. Um, and absolutely. And this is um, so Ofgem have sort of got this open letter going at the moment. I think. Uh, where you can reply to, although the replies close on the 16th of June. I think, which I think you've written our, this, our reply. I have written our reply, uh, <laughs> but by the time this podcast goes out, the closing date will have passed for the 16th <laughs> of June. But um, nevertheless, that that gives an opportunity for um, developers to sort of say to Ofgem, well, this is the sort of thing we want from the DNAs. We need transparency of data so that we can see if we can come up with the same conclusion based on the same methodology. Yeah. And, and it would be good to have to have uh, all of those assumptions um, as well as as the data. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so that everybody, and obviously it would be great if all the DNAs used exactly the same, um, the same assumptions. Yeah. In, in I mean, a good thing with the curtailment limits assessment is that they should all be using the same assumptions because they're codified. Um, it's just, the fact is they're rubbish, <laughs> but they should all be using the same assumptions. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed that there is going to be um, a decuser change modification. And well, if you're a generator listening and you are a signatory, a party to decuser, and you want to change this, well, you know, it'd be a you know, shame if somebody what you're putting yourself forward for. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have to ask you, Hugh. <laughs> cool, good, um, Pete. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I think we have now um, exhausted that topic. Um, that was that was great. And I look forward to seeing you tomorrow on a webinar. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks, 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 everybody. Bye-bye then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk link in the description where you can also sign up to our free connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections if during this podcast you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a road knight taylor connectologist in your life please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too